0: You need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. Uh, the price for a single semester is crazy affordable for anyone, so check out the links in the description and use promo code REMNANT to get 10% off Kairos Classrooms. Check out Kairos Classrooms today. Discount code R-E-M-N-A-N-T REMNANT to get 10% off your semester. Hey, guys. Welcome to Learn for World of Remnant Radio. In today's program, uh, we're asking the question, does modern-day prophecy... Mean that the cannon is open uh, all this and more will be covered in this episode You are watching The Remnant Radio, a show where we tackle history, theology, and the gifts of the Spirit. My name is Joshua Lewis. I'm the pastor of King's Fellowship in Ada, Oklahoma. Together with my friends Michael Miller at Reclamation Church Denver and Michael Roundtree at Bridgeway Church OKC, we set aside time every week to discuss the gifts of the Spirit. Things like how should we pray for the sick, and how do we interpret tongues, and should we believe all the prophetic words for the new year. If you're looking for a charismatic podcast with practitioners who are actually doing the stuff, this is the show for you. We've got an exciting episode for you today. We're asking, is the canon of Scripture open if we have modern-day prophecy? You might be asking yourself, what is canon? It just means a measurement. It's a a way that we scale. Like, What what is the the written code of God's Word? How far does it extend? Do we have it open? Can we keep adding to the Bible today? Uh, And many cessationists will say, if you have modern-day prophecy... It must be equal to scripture. You might as well just tack it on with sticky notes to the end of your Bible. We would disagree strongly. We're going to try to give an argumentation for that today in this program. But before we dive into the subject, I want to remind you that Remnant Radio is entirely crowdfunded, So if you want to support the channel, you can do so in the links in the description. Uh, you can give a one time gift on PayPal or a recurring gift on Patreon. If you choose to give on Patreon, as low well as five bucks a month to get access to extra content. The last two videos we uploaded was with Trinity Radio. We discussed uh, tongues with them, glossolalia and xenolalia. That was a lot of fun. Uh, and I just uploaded a video just now about. Uh, Mark Ward, uh, he came on the program and discussed with us a little bit of extra questions uh, about like you know shofars and matzah bread and and you know should you know the 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 Christ um, uh, Messiah Mashiach uh, should Christ be translated as Messiah in the old in the New Testament and should we translate in the Old Covenant Christ for Messiah and just kind of discuss those kinds of things together. So it was a lot of fun get a little extra extended interview with some of our Monday shows. And we have another Remnant Radio Conference coming up September 14th through the 16th there at Bridgeway Church in Oklahoma City. Uh, It's going to be the 14th through the 16th. We're going to be covering prophecy and hearing God's voice. It's going to be a fantastic time. You do not want to miss it. Uh, Also, when I say you don't want to miss it, I mean you want to register ASAP. We released all of our info on Monday and we already have almost 200 signups for the conference that only sits 600 people. So if you want to go, do not drag your feet because slots are being filled up very quickly. If you want to register, you can do it at remnantconferences.com or you can do the link of the description without further ado i want to introduce you to my co-hosts this is michael and michael makes my job very easy because i only have to remember one name for two co-hosts i'll start with roundtree roundtree how are you doing over there in oklahoma city oklahoma
1: in the in the oklahomas yeah doing good man doing good so excited excited about this episode how are you doing over there in the basement basement boy
2: i'm doing that is another name that you have to remember though josh basement boy you have I'm to remember so that so much one. better than true, Michael Roundtree. who's just doing good. I'm fantastic. I'm so much
0: better. Look at you. My, uh, Ma- Miller, do you? I don't know if you know this. Me and Roundtree were discussing what it would look like to get you a neon sign behind you. Uh, I think it would look le- like you said basement boy, like in big neon letters. <laughs> I think it's fabulous. I'm really excited about it. Um, I think it looks good. Just keep adding you guys
1: little let us know in the like like comments what you think of that.
2: we could hold me for ransom and have people pay
1: donations to get me out of the basement for an event oh that'd be fantastic well if we were to do it though we would we would want you know to actually raise money so i i don't i don't think that would really work because (laughs) we'd also
0: we'd also we'd also need sarah's permission um obviously anyway uh, i digress miller tell us a little bit about the uh the show that we're doing today talking about the canon of scripture Talking about the old covenant, new covenant, how we measure those things. Maybe just kind of introduce us uh, to the content for today. Uh,
2: well, I guess it's it's kind of a response to a common argument. Um, which should I quote Justin Peters right now, yeah, or should we wait for sure. that? Yeah, let me go and do that. Okay, so here's here's a con, uh, a common argument against the continuation of the gift of prophecy, in particular, but the the what what many cessationists call the sign gifts. Um, but I think it's probably one of the more Uh, I would say most often used arguments against the continuation of these gifts. And so this is a quote pulled from uh, Justin Peters says, whatever God reveals and says to these individuals, most of these individuals quote God directly should carry with it the same, very same authority as any verse of scripture. Since God cannot speak less authoritatively on one occasion than he does on another. In other words, God cannot speak to us in the Bible and really, really mean it. But when he speaks to individuals outside of the Bible, whether in a dream, vision, audible voice, or trip to heaven, still mean it, but somehow mean it less so than he did in the Bible. It is illogical. It is an untenable position. If God is speaking, then God is speaking. If God is indeed speaking to people outside of the scripture, then these communications would add to the Bible. Carried to its logical conclusion, we are left with an open canon of scripture. If the canon of scripture is still open, then anything goes. I see that's a pretty compelling argument. If you were, let's just say you had never heard this stuff before, how would you guys feel about it out on the front end?
1: Well, I mean, uh, just even for those of our viewers who don't know what the canon of scripture is, that's just, it it refers to the 66 books of the Bible. That's how we would define it as Protestants would be, uh, our canon, the Eastern Orthodox and Roman Catholic church have a little different, um, expression of that with the uh, Apocrypha in there, but uh, neither here nor there, uh, that the canon of scripture we would desc- we would define as the Old and the New Testament. That's the fullness of it. And we would fully affirm, along with Justin Peters and all the cessationists, that there is no adding to this Bible. Uh, there, there are no books added. There are no verses added. There are no sticky notes added. There are no prophetic words added. Uh, that written revelation trumps spontaneous revelation every time. And, uh, and so uh, that's where Justin Peters and the cessationists would, would part ways from us. They would say, well, actually, there's just no spontaneous revelation because it always is equivalent to the scripture and you might as well add it to the Bible. So, uh, anyway, I, I would say that uh, if I wasn't really, if I never really studied these things or thought about these things, I would say it is compelling because, man, adding to the Bible is a, is a scary thought.
0: Yeah, I think it probably compounds like where that proverb Proverbs 18 that says that like a man seems right when he like states his case first, uh but then his opponent like opens his mouth and begins to speak. It feels like one of those situations where hey, you you seem right because that's like a compelling argument um and it's and it's full of uh compelling things that all Christians want to agree on. We all want to agree that the canon is closed. And in fact, it's probably appealing to common ground between cessationist and continuationist people who are in continuationist churches, everyone that I know of, and for that matter, I mean, there was a guy. John MacArthur did quote a guy over and over, conflating him with other scholars to say, "Well, you know, they all believe the canons open." That's, that's not true at all. I've never met a continuationist that believes. Well, that's not. I'm, not I've once. met one continuationist that believes that there's. Yeah, a rare canon. occasion. Uh,
2: yeah. Yeah, there's oh, a very
0: well. rare occasion, uh, and and I I find it to be extremely dangerous. I, I find it to be extremely unorthodox, and I think in all of the continuationist churches I am aware of. They proclaim a closed canon. So what this is doing is it's appealing to a common ground that both continuationists and cessationists actually affirm in order to win people over to their side. Uh, but just like Proverbs eighteen seventeen says, uh, the opponent has an opportunity to speak, and I think that it would have an opportunity to to win over uh, those who are sitting on the fence on this issue. Um, yeah, that's yeah, how, that's so, how I, I take it.
2: Yeah. So my hope for this episode is that we would be able to uh, show well basically build a case to undermine his premise that prophecy and scripture are on the same authoritative level. When he says that there is no prophecy that's, or God cannot speak in a more authoritative way here and a less authoritative way there. Uh, I hope to prove him wrong on that particular premise. Um, but the other thing that he doesn't well, do, I'll, which I've never going to do is go ahead, finish your thought. And then I'll, i I want to follow up on that. So I guess I I was trying to say that God's communication, not uh, as it's given through a person, uh, one authoritative way and another. I knew where you you stopped me there, Michael. Sorry, you caught me right. Um, But I think one of the things that he fails to do, and I've never heard him do, is prove from the scriptures that that's the case, that all revelation that comes through a human being is always going to be on the same authoritative level. Um, and and I think we hope to prove just the opposite by using the scriptures to prove it, right? Uh, so that, do you want to uh, th-
1: correct me there? Yeah, that's an important thing because I do, I don't want Peters or anybody else to try to soundbite you because you misspoke just a little bit. Because yes, I did. Yeah, I know that we're all on the same page that all of God's revelation, whether th- if God speaks, it is equally authoritative, no matter when and how. He speaks whatever he says because he's God, the ultimate authority. Whatever he says comes with ultimate authority, no matter what. And so, uh, and so, Miller, you kept adding in once I kind of interjected for a moment, like through through a person, through a person, through as a it's person, mediated through a man, as it's mediated. So, what we would say as continuationists is uh, is that the revelation is always of ultimate authority. However, it can be muddled through a person who's trying to interpret and then apply that message. Uh, That's different with Scripture. Now, it it is true in Scripture that teachers can mess it up. Teachers can misinterpret and misapply the Bible. But the revelation itself is inerrant and it is all authoritative because it is God-breathed Okay, And so what we would hold to is that the revelation from God is inerrant, but just like teachers can misinterpret God's written word, prophets can misinterpret God's spontaneous revelation. So that's, that's, I think, how we would try to qualify that. Josh, did you uh, follow all that, uh, agree with everything I said?
0: Yeah, no, I do. And I, I think that for, just like the cessationist wants to appeal to the continuationist and say, hey... You believe in a closed canon like we do, don't you? And make their argument just because we're going to make, a, I think, a, a, a nice theological bridge that makes sense of Old Covenant, New Covenant, and the exercise of spiritual gifts throughout a period of time where Written revelation and spoken revelation worked alongside of each other and saying that we can see that happen in the new covenant in a way where the written revelation has a conscious binding all people everywhere authoritative function where prophecy can operate in another way that's not necessarily scripture, but still used for, to edify, and encourage, console, those kinds of things. Uh, I would just use as a, an initial thing that's not in our notes is that um, most of my cessationist brothers, who like Justin Peters and others who are on the other side uh, of the camera here, uh, they would say, well, you know, uh, we're, we're complementarian, meaning that we believe that only men are to preach, teach, and exercise authority within the confines of a local community, uh, often uh, along with that the role of elder, uh, and that, that, uh, that they are to govern the affairs of the church. They have authority in that local community. Um, and, and those are the ones who are going to be able to set the the kind of the rules and the guidance for the community through the written revelation of scripture. Uh, However, in the first century, that was also true. And yet children were prophesying. Uh, so children, according to Joel chapter 2, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh, your sons and daughters. Um, your old men, your young men, right They're the 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 unqualified to lead were getting prophetic revelation uh, and it says male and female servants in those days. and, and again, as a complementarian, my cessationist brothers would say, well, you know um, uh, the, the the daughters uh, of Philip were prophesying. are we gonna say that the daughters of Philip could prophesy an authoritative, binding on the conscience, prophetic word for all people everywhere, that children could prophesy and declare an authoritative word that's foundational for the church for all people everywhere? Or can we acknowledge that there might be a different authority of the written scriptures that Paul was writing at that time than those who were being given by by women and children? Now, we're not denying that God spoke through those people, but we're saying that does it still bear the same kind of authority? Or does prophecy encourage and edify and console, and and Scripture uh, is is sufficient for all teaching, life, and practice? We just find that there yeah. are different kinds of roles and authority of Scripture and prophecy, and and that's just kind of a to tee up the conversation that if these two things are different, and we think that they are, I think that we can actually see that in the Old Covenant and New Covenant as well. Yeah.
1: Uh, and I'm going to hop in here because you, you spoke from Acts 21, uh, where Paul is on his way to Jerusalem. And we know from Acts 19 and 20, Acts 19, Paul resolved in the spirit to go to Jerusalem. Acts 20, he felt compelled or some translations constrained by the spirit to go to Jerusalem. So we know that the spirit is guiding Paul to go to Jerusalem. And, uh, and Philip's daughters were among those who prophesied to Paul. We don't know what they said. Uh, but it's interesting that there, uh, as women prophesying over an apostle, I'm guessing that our cessationist complementarian brothers would think, oh, well, they would say, well, women can't exercise authority over uh, over men. That's complementarianism. Uh, and, and yet we have, if they spoke with scripture level authority over Paul, then Paul would have had to obey what they said. If you keep following the story down where Agabus prophesies and says, thus says the Holy Spirit and says what's going to happen in Jerusalem and the and and Paul concludes by saying why are you weeping and breaking my heart I'm ready to not only go to Jerusalem but to also die there what's interesting is that Paul takes their prophecy is non-authoritative so again the revelation from God is authoritative and it seems like in Acts 21 they had a right revelation uh, the the sequence of people like Acts 21 forward says through the spirit They told Paul not to go to Jerusalem. It sounds like they had a right revelation that there's danger in Jerusalem, and then they let their hearts get intertwined. Even cessationist Tom Schreiner interprets it this way, that they let their hearts get intertwined, and as a result, tried to compel Paul not to go. But my point is, number one, Scripture was not universally binding. In fact, Paul didn't even consider the prophecy of True prophets of the Lord, not false prophets. Agabus was a true prophet. Agabus, or, or Acts chapter 11, he predicts a famine coming over the whole Roman world, and he's right. In fact, he has such a uh, a reputation as a prophet that when he prophesies that in Acts 11, the churches start giving money in preparation for the famine so that the church is ready. So Agabus, with his stellar prophetic reputation, Paul's like, yeah, I, I'm going to not do that. Now, to be fair, Agabus didn't say don't go to Jerusalem. It was his friends who said that. Nevertheless, my point is very clearly in Acts 21.4, it is said through the spirit, don't go to Jerusalem. And and uh, and in Acts, and then later in the ch- chapter, we're not told what Philip's daughter said. There's a sequence of three prophetic scenarios. But later uh, at the very end, when Agabus prophesies that and uh, and the people conclude don't go, they finish by saying the will of the Lord be done. In other words, Paul says, eh, it's not authoritative, and they say, eh, okay, it's really not authoritative. Let God's will be done. And so what Justin says is actually not true to how stories about prophecy take place in the New Testament. Yes, so
0: if if anyone's not following, what we're trying to say is that um, Justin's interpretation presupposes that prophecy is equal to Scripture, and that once we have scripture, we no longer need prophecy. It presupposes on the grounds that these have the same binding authority. All that Michael and I are saying is that it does not necessarily have the same authority, which initially undermines the argument. Um, anyway, there is an entirely different theological case to be made that, um, that in the old covenant, the, the covenant was secured There was a canon of scripture and through that canon of scripture and even after that canon of scripture there continued a prophetic supernatural activity uh miller let me toss it over to you i haven't heard from you in a a second
2: yes i think what i would like to do is make the case that if old testament uh or if the old covenant had with it a a series of writings which we all believe it did uh and that that writing that alongside of those writings there was always prophecy then uh, sh- then we could make the case that alongside the new covenant with its writings, there was also prophecies that continued on. And matter of fact, I would say that even uh, you'll find that the old covenant closes with the writing of the Old Testament, which is old covenant, old testament means the same thing, right? It's just the 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 record given. Um, well, there's a whole lot more to it than that. But if if we can show that that prophecy always existed. Like, there was no inconsistency in prophecy outside of it saying maybe they were infrequent, but prophecies still happened, yet aren't necessarily included in the Canaan uh, alongside um, the the writing of the Old Testament and and, um, and up until the time Jesus arrives. And then you also see prophecy continuing alongside the writing of the New Covenant on into our day. Um, and so you don't you see an unbroken. Uh, expectation of God speaking to people outside of the Scriptures, um, and that should continue. On, and I think the Scriptures give us a timeline until the Lord Himself returns, when all mysteries are suddenly made known, where prophecy is no longer needed. And so, that's so, uh, First Corinthians. May,
0: maybe tell me what are some of the core uh, principles, features that we see in the inauguration of the covenant, the Mosaic covenant, and how that's uh, established and 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 worked out, and then how the subsequent writings take along, take uh, take place uh, subsequent to the initial formulation of that covenant with Moses.
2: Yeah. So you, if you get to one of the one of the main purposes, not all of the purposes behind the writings of the Old Covenant, uh, one of them was to function sort of uh, comparatively speaking against that of the rest of the ancient. World, right? So you've got these other nations with their gods, and they would have these these treaties or these covenants that they made with their gods. In the same way, Israel has a covenant with their god that looks a lot like a, was it suzerain? Suzer, how do you say it, Michael? Uh, a su- suzerain is how I've always Suzerain heard it. vassal treaties. And so, uh, common in the ancient world, it would have a preamble, uh, which is sort of where they named the king, a historical prologue. Uh, what that king had done, the stipulations, the terms of the covenant, the sanctions, a series of blessings and curses for those who obey or disobey those stipulations, and a deposit of written documents, one for each party. And so, you know, we have like the Ten Commandments, which is a written document, uh, and they had two copies of it, um, one for each party, that being one for God in his presence that would stay with the tabernacle, and then one for Israel. And so if you see the, the... old covenant as um that same thing you know you name uh yahweh as the king that's the preamble uh, there's a prologue of what the king had done well this was done right after they had left egypt and so god uh, you know unlike the other nations where they were conquered by their gods uh yahweh delivered this nation from the gods of the egyptians and from the hands of the egyptians so what he had done was rescue rather than uh take over and conquer and then you have the stipulations, which we have in Leviticus and Deuteronomy and parts of Exodus. And then you have the sanctions, which we also know of, you know, I've set before you life and death, right? Blessings and cursings, you know, choose life that it may go well with you in the land that God is about to give them where they, which is the vassal that, the, that Yahweh has promised them to oversee. And so then you have the written deposit of those documents. So in the same way that the old covenant had with it a writing, uh, the new covenant will also have with it a document and it will spell out the same kind of things. Well, not in the same exact order or in the same exact way, but many of those same things will be addressed. So like you've got in the new covenant, you've got the name of the King. His name is Jesus, uh, Emmanuel, God with us. You've got a, um, uh, prologue, but not necessarily in the same way that it's done in the old covenant, where we know what Jesus has done for us. He's brought in, uh, his reign and his rule over the earth by casting out demons, healing the sick, raising the dead. Uh, but then even more so and greatest of those things that he did was he died on a cross. And so in the same way that the old covenant had, uh, had, you know, the blood of bulls and goats to, to forgive sins when the new covenant, uh, because blood of blood of bulls and goats could never truly forgive sins. He dies on a cross and pays the penalty, and so then there's stipulations of faithfulness to that covenant, and uh, we've got uh, blessings that come and cursings that come whether you choose to believe in him and entrust your life to him versus not, and then you've got a deposit which is the old or which is the writings of the New Testament, but alongside both of these things you have prophecy always taking place. Um, that's a lot
1: I just unloaded. I, I hope I didn't talk too long, guys. Uh, thoughts about that? Right. Okay. So w- why don't you finish that thought though? Because um, you're you're trying to make the argument ultimately that the existence of prophecy does not open the canon. So what you told right. us about the Old Testament just now, which also applies in the New Testament, um, the, the arguments you made about the suzerain and kind of like these connections about how in ancient times a covenant was made, Help our viewers understand that, you know, some of them might be lost in the history and be like, oh, okay, that's cool. I'm sure that exists. And it definitely does exist. It's quite, uh, I mean, even cessationists would agree with these arguments that um, both there there was a historical background to this in the Suzerain Treaty and so on, um, and that prophecy existed alongside. But you're going to draw a different conclusion from that than our cessationist brothers and sisters. So help us understand how this connects to the existence of, of prophecy and, and how that doesn't create a, quote, open canon.
2: Right. So with the old covenant, there was this expectation of a written form of it, right? The, the deposit of written documents. And yet alongside that, there was always prophecies being given and communication from God to various people, uh, some prophets, some uh, not prophets. But the fact is God was always communicating both before, during, and after this covenant was uh, written. Um, And then you've got the same thing happening in the new covenant, where God was always speaking uh, through various people in all times and all places with the expectation that in this new covenant, which was prophesied in the old covenant, that there's coming a greater, newer covenant in Jeremiah 31 or in Isaiah 59, um, that, that alongside that would also be prophecy. And so um and the interesting thing about this is when you look at like uh, isaiah 59 for instance it says it says as for me this is my promise to them says the lord my spirit who is upon you and my words which i've placed in your mouth will not depart from your mouth or the mouths of your children and descendants from this time forward now this is an extremely important prophecy coming from the old covenant about the new covenant this day where god is going to give his spirit that's upon this servant uh and the the isaiah's servant uh is going to be given to the generations after that servant comes now what's also kind of cool about this is peter will quote this in acts chapter 2 verse 39 he says "The for the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far away as many as the lord your god will call to himself so if this spirit of prophecy that's given to this servant uh, that you see all throughout in Isaiah forty uh, two one, Isaiah 49.2, Isaiah 51.16, if the spirit of prophecy is given to this servant and that when this servant comes, uh, then the spirit of prophecy would be given to every generation afterwards, then the implication is prophecy itself is not about the uh, openness or closing of the Canaan prophecy itself is a gift meant to be given to continue the ongoing work of God uh his proclamations when I mean, you look at the various works of God like Isaiah 42 1 says here is my servant whom I support my chosen one in whom I take pleasure I've placed my spirit on him he will make just decrees for the nations so that's one of the things that prophecy is going to do and it's going to be around for the ongoing generations Isaiah 49.2, he made my mouth like a sharp sword. He hid me in the hollow of his hand. He made me like a sharpened arrow. He hid me in his quiver. Same way prophecy is going to function just like this. This, this arrow that, that hits pointedly, and same thing with a sword. It says, I commission you as my spokesperson. This is Isaiah 51.16. I cover you with the palm of my hand to establish the sky, to found the earth, to say "Design, you are my people. So in the same way, God is giving this gift to continue to tell
1: people who they are before God. Um, yeah, does that help? Okay. So those verses you quoted from Isaiah 42, Isaiah 49 and 51. Um, if somebody would say, yeah, well, that was about Jesus. Jesus speaks God's words, but that doesn't mean that prophecy continues. What would you say?
2: Well, then they're failing to recognize what it says in Isaiah 59, that this is going to be given to not just that servant, not just Jesus, but the ongoing generations afterwards. Uh, and and the implication is this is unending until he returns, uh, because Second Peter or sorry not Second Peter Peter himself will quote this in Acts chapter two. So for, this is what this gift is. It's for your generations and your children's children. The implication is this is going to be an ongoing thing. This is part of this new covenant that's going to be inaugurated by this suffering servant. So if anything, the old covenant, while it had prophecies that existed alongside the writing of the Old Testament. The New Covenant, even more so, even more prophecies would be given alongside the writing of the New Covenant.
0: Mm. Round you, your mics muted? I see your lips moving.
1: Oh, well, uh, yeah and and you could also say Isaiah 496 is also quoted in Acts, I think chapter 13. just it's, it's talking about the spirit of uh, or about the servant of Yahweh and normally that's applied to Jesus but there it's actually applied to Paul and Barnabas which is interesting but it makes sense of Paul's theology that we as God's people are in Christ like him so yeah right and not just like him but we're actually in him and so we express him on the earth and so uh, and so those prophecies about the servant they are about Jesus but they continue their fulfillment in the church, which is why Acts 1.1 refers to the gospel of Luke as the things that Jesus began to do and teach. Did you know that Jesus only began doing and teaching in his incarnation? He continues doing and teaching through the church. And uh, now that's actually kind of an interesting question. I I would want to know what our cessationist brothers would say about that. Would they say that Jesus only continued doing and teaching in the book of Acts and then it stopped? I think you would have to say, if you follow the argument of Acts, the whole point of it is that because Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, therefore he continues to do and teach. So I don't think you can limit that to the first century. You have to say Jesus is continuing to do to, do and teach. Well, how is he continuing to do and teach? Uh, through the church. That's the whole message of Acts, that the, that the church is continuing that mission. And that's why I can quote that that message about Isaiah that, uh, from Isaiah 49, six that way. And, um, I think what's interesting here and I, what I'd love to hear my sensationist brothers and sisters respond to is, do you believe that a Bible teacher can, uh, do you believe that Jesus can teach through a Bible teacher? Uh, cause I think you would definitely agree that there is no infallible Bible teacher. Um, that every Bible teacher is infallible, but can Jesus teach through a Bible teacher? I think Acts 1.1 is one verse that would require you to say yes to that. And if Jesus can teach through fallible people who are even fallible in their teachings, it follows that Jesus could speak prophetic words through his fallible church that would sometimes muddle the message in much the same way that teachers sometimes muddle the message Jesus is still doing and teaching through his church that is fallible and it doesn't mean that we always get it right but intermixed in there is Jesus's ministry and so I would that would be my question for cessationists is can Jesus speak through a bible teacher and and so I don't so, want us to should we add that to the Bible?
0: That, that's, a, that's a great question. I don't want those who are watching to get kind of maybe lost in some of the sauce. So I want to ask a question, kind of pose it to you guys to, to clarify, because there's a specific statement that's made by Jordan. And I think that Miller articulated the old covenant and how things don't necessarily appear the way that uh, Justin is saying that they appear. Uh, so let's just read this, this quick quote from that larger quote. It says, if God is indeed speaking to people outside of Scripture, then these communications would add to the Bible, right? Um, Carried to its logical conclusion, we are left uh, with an open canon of Scripture. If the canon of Scripture is still open, then anything goes. couple things, guys. In the Old Covenant, let's just look at the Old Covenant. Covenant was established in Moses. There are people in Moses' day who are giving prophetic revelation. Could those people add to the covenant? Could they come along... And say, hey, we're going to add to the Bible. Uh, were there prophecies? Maybe I should say it this way: Were there prophecies in the Old Covenant that weren't added to the Bible? Uh, kind of submit that over to you because his argumentation one hundred percent.
1: There were like is, a million of them. Yeah, yeah. both before <laughs> Moses and after Moses. Yeah.
0: So, so yeah. which ones would were not added to Scripture?
1: Uh, Numbers chapter eleven. The spirit comes on Moses. Uh, so Moses is frustrated because he can't get it all done himself. God says, uh, you know, have a little meeting, get your elders together. I'll take the spirit that's on you and I'll give it to the rest. Uh, and I'll give it to your elders is who it is. And there's 70 or 72 elders, depending on your translation. Uh, and, so, uh, and so God puts the spirit on them and it just says they prophesy. Doesn't tell us what they prophesied. Now, uh, but they prophesied something. The question I have for my cessations, brothers and sisters is, uh, where did we add that to the Bible? The answer is we didn't. They prophesied outside of Scripture. And according to Justin's quote, if they prophesied outside of Scripture, then these communications would add to the Bible. But it didn't in Numbers 11. It didn't in First Samuel 10. It didn't in First Samuel 19. These were the companies of the prophets that Samuel oversaw. Uh, it didn't um, with well, Even the, the prophecies of those the 70 elders... Of, with the prophets that Obadiah, uh, let me let me finish this. A couple of thoughts, Miller, and then I'll let you jump in. The prophets of Obadiah that he's taking care of the uh, was it was it fifty or a hundred prophets? I think it was two caves of fifty prophets that he was taking care of and uh, and feeding them bread and water during this drought while Ahab was persecuting and so on. Where were their prophecies? They were called prophets. What about Second Kings one? What, and and two, the company of the prophets that Elijah and Elisha oversaw, and 2 Kings uh, 3 and 5, the continuing story of the company of prophets that Elisha oversaw. Uh, all of these stories have their stories of prophets, but we don't know what they actually prophesied. According to Justin's argument, they didn't prophesy, because if, it, if they did, it would have had to be added to the Bible. And so his entire point that he's building his case on is erroneous based on direct scriptural texts. He's drawing a theological conclusion and uh, a theological conclusion that, hey, if if God speaks, you add it to the Bible every time, but that's just not true. Um, God speaks don't a lot of things a that we don't add it. to the Bible. And of course you get to the New Testament and Paul's even okay with like a prophet's prophesying. First Corinthians 14, he says, if another interrupts you, you who were already prophesying, you just take a break and let the other person go. Well, what happens to their prophecy? I guess they never share it. It's, it's what it sounds like. Well, if this is Bible-level quality, let's get it out in the open air. And why are we going to interrupt that? I mean, when, so there are so many examples that we could go to. But I'll, the last thing I'll say is on Numbers 11, the story I started with, uh, when the Spirit is poured out on the 70 elders... Um, and I, and I think there were, I guess two, maybe, maybe it was two of them were outside the camp, Eldad and Medad. They didn't show up to the prophetic meeting and yet Joshua finds them still prophesying and Joshua goes to Moses, Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying and they didn't show up to the meeting. And Moses says, would not (laughs) that all the Lord's people were prophets. That was fulfilled on Pentecost, and every cessationist scholars I read will say this was fulfilled on on Pentecost. I'm kind of like, do you see where the logic of this goes? They say it was fulfilled on Pentecost because the spirit is poured out just like in numbers eleven. I'll give them my spirit, and they'll prophesy Acts two he gives the spirit, but it's not just. The elders that prophesy, not just the special people, it's your sons and your daughters and your old men and your young men and your men servants and your maid servants. Uh, all flesh, that is all believers, will prophesy. And so, Justin, we just want you to know, even you could prophesy. Maybe you should give
0: it a shot. What if, if, even if you didn't go to the meeting like uh, Moses' friends? Okay, so uh, I would would ask a follow-up question because there, some will say, you know, you're not really interpreting Justin correctly, or maybe just they'll say, yeah, I'm not that kind of cessationist. I'm this kind of cessationist. I acknowledge that there were prophetic ministries and miraculous signs accompanying the writing of Scripture— and these things were attesting to those things, and these things in themselves weren't necessarily scripture. And then, uh, then the when the scripture stopped being written, right? Uh, when that when that scripture stopped, there was four hundred years of darkness where God didn't speak. There weren't signs, wonders, and miracles. There weren't these miraculous activities that were taking place. Uh, and then we we see that there are there's Scripture writing again when Jesus comes on the scene, and then there's Scripture that is accompanying signs and miracles. But then when the gifts and the miracles cease, or maybe we should say the opposite, when we see that the Scripture and the canon is done being written, uh, it logically follows that the gifts would cease. So in the Old Covenant, uh, writing and revelation come parallel to each other, even though the some revelation isn't equal with writing. They, they parallel each other as as this attests to this. Then they then they cease at the same time, and then when it starts back up, we have those things existing at the same time. And then the canon ceases; therefore, the gifts cease. How would you respond to that? I'll toss that to Miller, since Roundtree answered the last question.
2: Well, so let me let me ask a question on the uh, in response to that. If I could show you that the. Signs, wonders, prophecies never stopped after the closing of the old covenant, and or I could show you prophecies never signs, wonders, prophecies never stopped after the closing of the new covenant writings. Would that undermine that argument? Yes, yeah, everyone, uh, excessively. Okay. Yes. So then, uh, I, I would start with the Maccabean uh, revolt. The fact that Jews all over the world we celebrate Hanukkah because of the miracle that God did his continuing uh sovereign oversight of Israel and that sign taking place alongside uh there not being any new writings of Scripture um and then not only that just a massive number of prophecies that we have about the Messiah in that intertestamental period uh accurate prophecies um, there's a book. I'm going to show you guys this. I actually haven't read through all of it. I've just got a, a little smattering of quotations from it, but it's called The Ancient Mysteries of the Essenes by Ken Johnson. It's a collection of, uh, of things that were discovered when they discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls. I mean, you ever wonder where in the uh, Old Testament is there a messianic profile of the Messiah coming to cast out demons? Like, what, how is that an expectation? We, we, we certainly see that the spirit will be on him. We see that he's going to, you know, be a suffering servant, uh, that he would open the blind eyes and deaf ears. But we don't see a lot about casting out demons. Well, it turns out there was a number of prophecies about that uh, that you find and was discovered when they discovered the Dead Sea, Dead sea Scrolls. Um, but not only that, you got you to gotta wonder, why is it that Jews at the time were so readily accepting of Jesus as Messiah? Well, because there was tons of prophecies about what the Messiah would do. Um, so let me give you just a couple. And this is just a small, saturn, a s- small
1: smattering. Uh, it's hard to right. say. say. that? So to this is the fast. intertestamental period after the, after the Old Covenant was completed. These yeah, prophecies, so this is pre-Christian. Yeah. So these prophecies were given by Jewish prophetic people who were believers in the Lord, but it was before Jesus came and after the Old Covenant was completed correct? Yeah. So we only know of these writings I mean, we know the of Testament. these
2: writings. There's other, there's other quotations of them, but we, we never actually got copies of these writings to actually know what was in them until the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls. And so one might wonder like, well, why have we never heard this? Well, it's because it's still making its way into popular literature, but check this out. This is from the Testament of Simeon. Again, not in our Bible, written prior to Christ's coming, uh, but after the finishing of the Old Testament, says this, then the world will rest from the war of Shem will be and Shem will be glorified because the Lord God, the Mighty One of Israel, will appear on earth as man and save the seed of Adam. Then all the deceitful, wicked spirits will be trampled underfoot and no longer rule over man. Then will I arise at the resurrection enjoy and will bless the most high God because of his marvelous works because God hath taken a body and eaten with men and saved men for the Lord will raise up from Levi as it were a priest and from Judah as it were a king who is both God and man so he will save the Gentiles in Israel okay that's just one quotation I know it's pretty powerful I get chills just reading because I'm like that's insane Uh, let me pause you
0: right there and ask you Michael is that scripture no no so it's not scripture no we don't agree that it's scripture we don't believe it's concluded in the canon but can we all acknowledge that it is in some sense revelatory it, it's clearly has data and information that no one expected to to happen or no one expected to come it, and it clearly fulfills a uh, a description of who oh. jesus is and what jesus did
2: when clearly you think about the purpose of prophecy the purpose of prophecy is to point people to the lord to Adonai, to Yahweh in the Old Testament. It, it's literally like the whole point of Deuteronomy 13 is to show you, hey, like when these people perform signs of wonders, but they, they tell you, hey, let's go worship these other gods. Or they prophesy in the name of these other gods. You don't follow them. You stone them. You get rid of them. But when they're pointing you to God, you go, oh, this is an accurate prophecy. That's what all the Old Testament prophets did. They were trying to point Israel back to the God and back to the covenants. And so here sure. we have an accurate prophecy that's pointing to God, specifically before the Messiah even shows up, it's pointing to that Messiah so they'd be ready to receive him.
0: So my my cessationist brothers are going to be out there. They're watching this and they're saying, okay, the canon of the Old Testament was closed when miracles ceased. Your argument is, well, the Maccabean revolt, the supernatural activity that God did during that season, again, not scripture, but if you, if there's any kind of testimony that says in the name of God, in the name of Yahweh, supernatural activity is happening and you reject it, you're creating a circular argument which denies any external source material. So so you're saying, hey, you know, there are no miracles only because you refuse to look at them. Only because you refuse to acknowledge what that's was going right. on in the Maccabean revolt was actually God. Only because you refuse to see this prophetic word that's given in the Dead Sea Scrolls that's not scripture, we all acknowledge is not scripture, but you're not admitting it as potential evidence. So for the cessationist that's out there that says, hey, I don't care what happens you know, in church history after the the closing of the canon. I don't care what happens in church history uh, after all of the, the apostolic writings have been sealed up and accepted by the church universal. No, no matter what kind of testimonies take place, I reject all of those testimonies because I believe that the miracles ended with the ceasing of the canon. You're refusing to accept that, ad- that data and that information, and you're refusing to accept the, the information during the intertestamental uh, period. Of course you're going to come to right. that kind of conclusion.
1: Yeah, exactly. So when you say it's circular, it it goes like this. You, you say, sign gifts and, and miracles of that nature only occurred in the bible and they only occurred associated with the writing of the bible i will not look outside the bible to test my hypothesis because i've already decided what i think about that and i'm just gonna say i read about those miracles in the bible i read about those prophecies in the bible and it was therefore associated with the writing of the bible and then you just keep going back in this circle you won't look for extra biblical evidence that that's actually not true and uh, and so to Michael's point, it wasn't true in the intertestamental period uh, when the Old Testament c- canon was closed, prophecies uh, and miracles continued, and he's about to cite another, uh, I don't know, one or two, whatever he's going to cite. And then, guys, we've done so many episodes of the continuation of miracles after the New Covenant was completed, uh, the New Testament was completed as well. Um, So I don't know how extensive we want to get into that. But uh, Miller, why don't you keep quoting because I want to interrupt you too much.
2: Oh, it's fine. It's like I've got so many of these quotations. It's just crazy. Uh, Dave has actually sent these to me. So uh, here's another one from the Testament of Levi says, you and your seed will be blessed until the Lord visits all the heathen in the tender mercies of his son, even forever. Nevertheless, your sons will lay hands on him to crucify him. Therefore you have been ca- given counsel and understanding to instruct your sons about him because he who blesses him will be blessed but but they that curse him will perish. It's interesting cuz it's the Bruh. same language t- w- about Israel. It says Blessing you will deal lawlessly covenant. Yeah. right it says you will deal lawlessly with Israel so that Jerusalem will not endure your wickedness but the veil of the temple will be rent
1: so as not to cover <laughs> your shame.
2: Isn't that crazy?
1: Yeah. Oh okay. My gosh. Hey, do you have a direct? Okay. So Testament of Levi, do you have chapter and verse on that? Just to check.
2: Uh, I don't on me. I can have to give you that later, but you guys Google the fact it. Is, if you want to find it, you'll find it in this book. What? The right. ancient mysteries of the Essenes by Ken Johnson. It's
1: all there. Okay. All right. Keep going. So uh, there's a couple more. That's
0: all. That's all intertestamental. You got more intertestamental again during the period between yeah. the ending of the last Old Testament book to the coming of Jesus. We're talking about this period
2: only. Yeah. Yeah. So this one's kind of cool. So this is the Testament of Zebulun says after these things, the Lord himself will arise to you. The light of righteousness, healing and compassion will be in his wings. So that's a, a quote from the old Testament. He will redeem all of captivity of the sons of men from Belial, uh i don't know how you pronounce that satan and every spirit of error will be trodden down he will bring back all the nations to zeal for him all of the nations that's a key thing there and you will see god in the fashion of a man whom the lord will choose so you've got again uh the destruction of satan uh you've got the incarnation the fact that god will appear as a man uh and all of this you know again intertestamental i'm trying to think there's there's a couple that are like one that speaks of the resurrection that i want to find um so we've got a quote on oh, oh, this the one's a good one. casting got out of
0: demons. You got a quote on uh, him coming in an incarnation in the form of a human person, and you have got being one on the God's resurrection is on. Well. Oh, also yeah, being, being God's son, God. son, also bringing the Gentiles into a single people. Like there's there's so much here. Keep going, keep going. Yeah,
1: All right, this and is cru- from the Testament of. Go ahead, Michael. Well, and and the prophecy about crucifixion must have been inter- no earlier than intertestamental because. Gosh, the Carthaginians invented crucifixion. I can't remember what year, but I I know that it was, um, (laughs) it wasn't like, I I know when David wrote Psalm 22 about they pierced my hands and my feet that crucifixion invented. So it was sometime after David. So uh, the timeline is making sense here. Miller, why don't you read that other quote?
2: This is from the Testament of Joseph it says, here also my children, the visions, which I saw. So he's claiming he had visions. He said, I saw that from Judah was born a virgin, a, wearing a linen garment. And from her went forth a lamb without spot. And on his left hand, there was a lion. All the beasts rushed against him and the lamb overcame them, destroyed them and trampled them underfoot. Because of him, the angels, men, and all the earth rejoiced. These things will take place in their season in the last days. Therefore, my children, observe the commandment of the Lord. From them, Judah and Levi will arise unto a Lamb of God by grace save all the Gentiles and Israel. For his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom which will not be shaken.
1: Bro. Yeah. You know, this, <laughs> this kind of this makes me think of... Uh, <laughs> You know what this makes me think of, Miller, is with uh, the way Luke tells us the story in uh, in the kind of like infancy narrative, where Jesus is being to the temple to be dedicated. This would be like end of Luke two, where Simeon is told by the Holy Spirit that he will uh, that he will not perish before he sees the Lord's Christ. So the Holy Spirit is making the coming of Christ known uh, to some old dude named Simeon. At the same time, he's making himself known to Anna, uh, who is praying and fasting night and day in the temple. And what's similar between both of them, I think Simeon was looking for the consolation of Israel. Uh, So that's a reference to Isaiah 40, comfort, comfort, oh my my people, uh, a prophecy about the Messiah. And then uh, she, uh, Anna was looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. And so that's Luke's language for they were placing their hope in the Messiah and what he would do for the people of God. And, then, and so the Holy Spirit, says Luke, spoke to those who were looking in hope for a coming Messiah. Now, he just tells it of these two individuals, but it seems to me like... Uh, this was this was more than just these two individuals. And and you could count Simeon and Anna as being under the old covenant dispensation. They were, you know, Simeon's about to dedicate Jesus at the temple for crying out loud. It's the old covenant dispensation. And so um and so I, I'm just saying that like, why couldn't the Holy Spirit make himself known to those who are Looking to the consolation of Israel and the redemption of Jerusalem, why couldn't the Holy Spirit make Himself known and 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 speak prophetically about these things to come? And uh, well, and uh, he, yeah, he can't,
2: Michael, because there's no Scripture being written at this time. Don't you know that? <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> so. The argument
0: goes. Yeah, but but what uh, what about all the the Muslims that are coming to faith? Like I've got cessationist brothers who are like, hey, I don't believe in Revelation. If he's speaking in dreams, why the Peters. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's yeah. one man that keeps showing up in white to all of these Muslims, and he keeps and they calling they keep them Jesus, saved. and they keep they keep going to Christians, and they I mean, keep giving them the gospel, and they keep getting saved. How's this? Yeah, how's this a thing? Like it's such an untenable position.
1: Yeah, there's studies on this, and I've I've read them, and I've read uh, some studies say 25 percent, others say 40 percent, so probably somewhere in that range, the number of Muslims that are coming to Christ. Well, uh, it it makes sense because. You know, God saved Cornelius through a vision that he, you know, Cornelius has a vision of an angel. Peter has a vision of a sheet coming down from heaven. God works through these supernatural means to bring about the salvation of the lost. That's the story of the book of Acts. Going back to Acts 1 8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you uh, to be my witnesses. And so it's power is the means by which God reaches the nation. So it doesn't surprise me that he uses dreams to reach Muslims.
0: And what's so interesting about this is that there is an actual story, because again, when we say, well, you know what, what do guys like Justin do with people who, who encounter a vision or a dream and they're led to Jesus for salvation? You don't have to look very far to figure out what Justin is going to do in a situation like that, because there is a precious woman named Doreen Virtue, who came to Jesus out of the occult and new age uh, from a dream that she had about Jesus came to saving faith in Christ. And Justin Peters convinced her that this was a demonic encounter, because for some reason demons are now leading people to faith and repentance and servants of Jesus. Now you can go watch all of this content. Doreen has recanted and repented of these things, but because of the ministry of Justin Peters, and I'm telling you guys, hold on, she recanted and repented
2: of having a dream. Yeah, she's, yes. she's taken Peter's... Uh, I know she's become... I mean, this is the crazy thing, is Satan is now giving Doreen vir- Virtue a
1: dream to lead her to Christ. That's what Justin right. Peters is convinced Which Peters of. and company would say, well, the devil gave the dream and God turned it around and redeemed it. And Muslims are having demonic dreams slash maybe just they're imagining things and they ate pizza and it turned out in their subconscious... They just had a picture of a man in a white robe saying, "Come over here, talk to these two missionaries." And it just happened to be right, and uh, I, you know what? They, they would have a naturalistic or a supernatural. It was the devil explanation. Uh, interesting. The devil can speak, but God can't. Um, I, I don't so know how God's uh. Word, but um, yeah, yeah. So I, they, I don't but they would it. have a uh, Josh. To your point, they would explain it away, like guys this is the press the pretzel that cessationists get themselves into they've already just to dis, just to interpret the bible in a cessationist manner requires you to exegetically twist yourself around because it is not clear it actually violates the historic doctrine of the clarity of scripture that the scripture is clear enough to be understood. Deuteronomy 6, teach these things to your children. Uh, Psalm 19, scripture makes wise the simple. Uh, But you have to be a really, really smart scholar to come up with cessationist arguments. So they twist around to come to the conclusion of cessationism. And then with evidence, flooding them during virtue, 25 to 40% of Muslims, so millions of people coming to Jesus, perhaps just hundreds of thousands, but I think millions, coming to Jesus through dreams and visions, and they say it was the devil, it was, you know, maybe some natural explanation that God ended up using, and I'm just like, guys, just, just look at the evidence. Just look at the
0: evidence. So you've got to, you got to bury your head in the intertestamental period that we, of the, the testimonies that we're hearing in the Septuagint. You have to bury your head uh, of all the church fathers, um, literally leading up to the time Tertullian, of the Protestant Reformation. Augustine. So like, not just, not just some church Eusebius, fathers. Sabius, like All of the church fa- fathers, Eusebius, Augustine, you know, uh, Irenaeus. I mean, all of these guys. Literally.
1: Until the Protestant Reformation, which yeah, I s- love. Until the Protestant
0: Reformation. Until, love, Protestant Reformation, we're, until John Calvin or. Very B. much Warfield Protestant. Middleton. Yeah. We're. Dude, Protestant. I you cut me. I bleed Protestant. Okay, I'm all about the Protestant Reformation. I love it. Right, but but the the overestimation of these things and trying to compartmentalize them uh, in in such a way where I will create a theological argument and then deny any kind of testimony that that, that falls outside of the logical framework that I've created. Which, by the way, logical, not biblical right there's not a single bible verse that says you know prophetic words we're going to continue when canons are active and then then prophetic words will cease when the canon is closed there's not a single iota not one biblical proof text that proves this uh, this idea so so first of all you have to invent and isegiate this theology into the text of scripture and then when you're given evidence that is contrary to this kind of system of thinking that you have you will completely wholesale deny and then just call it demonic as if demons are leading people to christ you, you, you have to, you you have to at some point in time think that I mean I I don't know I, I don't I don't want to I don't want to assume motive and assume heart posture but man it makes it difficult not to when you well hear I can tell kind you the of evidence people have to reject
2: yeah I, t- I can tell you this he's definitely quenching the spirit because he is despising prophecy yep there is yep. no other way to to interpret that and that's not me telling his mo- motives that's me actually pointing out action here. He's despising prophecies, a, a prophecy that led Doreen virtue to Christ that came through a form of a dream. He's despised it and called it Satan. And so the scriptures tell us in Matthew twelve, the kind of person that has to do that is somebody who hardens their heart against the spirit. I don't know any other way to, to interpret that.
1: Um, yeah, I I would be careful with Matthew twelve because I don't. That's the same context. Yeah, I, I don't want to blaspheme the spirit, but I will say. Um, that Jonathan Edwards uh, issues a warning to people who were criticizing the the First Great Awakening. Of course, Jonathan Edwards is a cessationist, Uh, but they were criticizing it on account of its manifestations and and, and calling what Edwards considered to be manifestations of the spirit. They were calling it the devil. And (laughs) Edwards didn't go so far as to say, you guys are blaspheming the spirit, but he says... I'm going to put this in 21st century paraphrase. You're not far, and so I, I would say I don't think I'm not going to accuse Justin Peters or cessationists by any stretch of of blaspheming the yeah, spirit. Yeah, I, I spoke too strong. Because in con- Matthew, 12, well, you're yeah, right. but in context, when Jesus uses that language of blaspheming the spirit, he's talking about Pharisees who who looked at his work of casting out demons and healing a, a deaf and I think mute man, he was deaf and blind. Uh, And so it's an exorcism and a healing. And they say it was the devil. And he says, you're blaspheming the spirit. Now um, we've done episodes on blaspheming the spirit. You guys can go look it up. So I don't want to get, I don't want to get too lost from the prophecy conversation, but I would want to issue a warning to my cessationist brothers and sisters. Be very careful about saying that's the devil about charismatic practices, because what if you're wrong? What what if that's real dangerous yeah. territory that's what Guys, Jonathan we need to Edwards wrap this said.
0: program up we need to wrap this program up, Miller. do you have any kind of closing thoughts that you want to drop? I know that you've kind of assembled these notes and have put this up before us, maybe even a summation of everything that we've talked about and how that makes you know theological logical sense to people out there
2: yeah, sure i I think what I've tried to do is build the case that the old and new covenant are consistent in the sense that the they had writings that accompanied those covenants and that those writings always uh, were had specific purposes in mind, although we didn't cover all of the purposes, but but one of them was to issue forth the stipulations of those covenants to the people that God had made that agreement with. Um, but alongside the writing of, of those covenants and both after the finishing of those covenants, there's always been signs, wonders, and prophecies that have gone alongside it. Uh both between the uh or after the finishing of the old covenant and after the finishing of the new covenant, um, there continues to be these prophecies that are rather accurate and signs and wonders that are very demonstrable. Uh again, I, I would say for many people who claim like, hey, there's no signs and wonders being done like that of Jesus or the apostle, well, actually there are and and craig keener does a phenomenal job of documenting these in our modern day things like blind from birth being healed deaf from birth being healed and resuscitations from the dead and so he does a phenomenal job and this is a scholar professor at asbury uh university uh you should go check out his works Mm -hmm. um yeah yeah asbury seminary not university sorry but my point in all of this to say is uh if prophecies existed outside of the writing of the canaan uh then the proof is that that has uh, a different bearing on us, uh, the prophecies that are spoken through men versus the writings of the scripture. Um, and so I would put those two things on uh, as far as, as they're mediated through men on different authoritative levels, which
1: would undermine Peter's premise. Yeah. it's good. Uh, cool. I'm, I'll just quote close with a quote. This is from Euse- uh, Eusebius who was the most famous historian of the church in the early church. And, uh, and so he writes a whole lot about church history. He was fourth century guy. And he says that, uh, the prophetic gift will quote, continue in all the church until the final coming. Now that's interesting because given that he's a church historian, he should have been able to see if the gifts had ceased. You know what? These gifts have been gone for the last three centuries. So maybe they're just gone, and uh, maybe they're not going to be around until Christ returns. Maybe they're just they just ceased with the closing of the canon. Instead, Eusebius, looking uh, both interpreting the scripture and looking back over church history, draws the conclusion they're continuing today, and they will continue until the end of time. So once again, so Miller quoted some uh, some prophecies in the intertestamental period. And uh and Eusebius, the most famous church historian, uh, really in in the early church, and uh, and he says it would continue until Christ's final coming. And he had the the insight into all that was taking place throughout church history and drew that conclusion. So uh and and of course, so so many quotes from church fathers about the gifts being alive and uh and working powerfully in their churches, uh up up through the centuries so uh anyway that that's it i think i just probably closed with that josh how, yeah. b- how about you any closing thoughts for you
0: no i know i think i think uh if if you're if you're wrestling through this maybe this is the first video you've watched from us i would encourage you to go back and watch the video we did maybe a couple weeks ago where miller's talking about the three different periods i think miller all of us talk about it but but you'll see his uh, his face on the thumbnail uh, the three periods of time where uh god did miracles that's a, that's a cessationist argument but as we just poised there's always been miracles like it it seems as if it happened before the covenant of Moses all the way in Genesis Genesis all the way to the coming of the covenant in in Exodus, Leviticus and Numbers, and and the recording of that in the Mosaic timeline. But leading up to that, there were tons of prophetic words, healings, miracles, supernatural activity. Uh, After Moses, there was tons of supernatural activity until the leading of Elijah and Elisha. And then after Elijah and Elisha, tons of supernatural activity uh, that, that continued all the way to the time of Jesus. Even Jeremiah said from the time of Moses until present day, with us today, I think it's Uh, Jeremiah 32, I believe, that he's continually performing signs and wonders and miracles, and these things haven't stopped. There's New Testament time markers, like in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7, that says, hey, uh, these will continue until the appearing of our Lord over and over again. We have uh, in the Old Testament, leading up to the covenants, throughout the covenant, and into the new covenant, supernatural activity. And after the new covenant, we have all of the church history that we look to of the church fathers who have established uh, the, the rule and governance and, and defended orthodoxy, men that we look to when we say, hey, they defended us against Arianism, they defended us against uh, modalism, they, they, they defended us against Nestorianism, they defended us against all of these evil heresies, you know, uh, you know Augustine, the Protestant father of all the, the early church. We look back to these guys and we say, hey, man, these dudes were the dudes who, who defended orthodox Christian doctrine. They were all continuationists. They all believed in the gifts of the Spirit. And and I think for us, the overwhelming evidence um, of these things continuing until the appearing of our Lord, I hope, compels your heart to reconsider cessationism. We don't do these videos to bash cessationists, to make fun of cessationists, to be angry at cessationists, though we do get emotionally worked up. We do these kinds of videos because there are people out there who could be walking in a measure of power to display God's word and power to the nations, could encourage the body of Christ, console people in their community. Jesus said that he'd give you power from on high to be witnesses. Wouldn't it be nice to walk in power if you've created a theological system that prevents you from doing that, when throughout all ages and all time, God has always empowered his covenant people Maybe it's your theology that's preventing you from doing those things. Maybe it's the traditions of men that's nullifying the word of God. We would just encourage you, maybe reconsider your cessationism. So so I hope that this video can be helpful and encouraging to you and that maybe you're out there and you're watching this video because you're, you've are you got the cessationist friends, you've got cessationist family members, and you're, you're trying to win them over to the position Man, if you want to keep helping us produce content like this, there's links in the description to do so. Those are all my thoughts. Hit the subscribe button, like the video, and we'll be coming out with content every single week just like this, at least on Mondays and Wednesdays. Blessings, guys. We'll see you next time. I want to thank Kairos Classrooms for sponsoring this episode of Remnant Radio. And if you're out there...